go welcome to the pre-show this hey, is everybody. not yeah this is this is not the uh this is not the webcast shit this isn't even a webcast this is a, a youtube stream what do we call this like we call it in an emergency newscast that's what we it called is it today an emergency newscast. <laughs> i am so glad we got the opportunity to bring that back uh, yeah right Right? We guy. haven't been here for a while, so there yeah. you go. Yeah. Oh, Apparently, some other BHIS that. people are on the actual news, so there's that. <laughs> yeah, there oh, are. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Some actual BHIS folks are like, "What's going on? Why are why are why are Deb and Jason here?" Um, <laughs> yeah. oh, this is a this is a special broadcast. Mm-hmm. I was kind of, you know, we're not we're not starting. This is just the pre-show. We're just pre-showing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of fun to watch this thing blow up on Twitter over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Oh yes, it was. So when you say fun, like how how would you categorize that word? I I, I think I categorize it as I've seen this before, and mm-hmm. a number of us have been around a long time, and you kind of predictably know what's going to happen mm-hmm. um, as somebody releases like a proof of concept for an exploit in a specific product. Somebody's going to rip on them. Like you shouldn't be releasing that exploit publicly. You should be going through responsible disclosure. And it's like, well, the internet is burning. And everybody is panicking right now. And responsible disclosure means the lawyers of the company are happy. So it's kind of fun to see the same trends show up. And I'll talk more about that at the beginning as I quickly try to recap what's actually going on. Well, the other thing I've seen, too, is that, you know, we create content. There's a lot of people now that create content. And so when this thing arrived, it was like, oh, wow, like there's so much content that could be created. And the, the, it's great and also noisy. Yeah, there's just so much like, I I mean, from Friday, as soon as I opened up Twitter, it was log 4J. And I was like, I have no idea what that is right now. (laughs) I I put that on my tweet deck and it just flooded. (laughs) (laughs) The tweet deck, which is written in Java, then crashed. Yes. Yeah. My favorite thing is like, is it is this vulnerable? Is this is this vulnerable? Is this vulnerable? Yes. 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 Yeah. Yes. yes. So, someone's probably on Twitter just replying yes to all of them. Like, yes. It's yes. a twi- Twitter bot. <laughs> just a, <laughs> yes, it is. So, so John, you realize yeah. that there's going to be people who use today's newscast to then talk to their leadership and the C-suite about what's going on. And hopefully you don't feel that pressure right now. So that's your polite way of telling me to swear less. <laughs> I was just thinking to myself, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God, that's pressure. <laughs> the other reason why it was kind of interesting is we very rarely do these types of things because mm-hmm. I, I feel like it's ambulance chasing. Mm-hmm. And Jason and I spent a lot of time talking about that when mm-hmm. a new vulnerability comes out. And I'm going to talk about what I think is a fundamental difference between something that's like everybody panic like uh, this. Mm-hmm. Or like an ambulance chasing type vulnerability. It's like if Microsoft releases a patch for Exchange servers, I'm not going to do a special webcast on that because that's just dumb. I mean, it, it's like the answer to that problem is patch your Exchange server. I mean, it's not it's not a long conversation. Something like this, I think, is because it's uh, it's very much not an easy thing. To- well, we get to find out how deep the rabbit hole goes with Java. It's like it's all the way down, man. Turtles. <laughs> it's like the whole way how, down. how deep does Java get integrated into well, everyday apps and devices? Let's find out. Some billion, I think they've got that number up somewhere. Yeah, you know that there was a conversation years ago, 
like when they first released Java. Many people don't know this, but Java was like training wheels C and C++ for college students. It was, we're going to come up with a coding language that's not as bad as C to ramp you up and to get used to writing C code. And um, ultimately what happened is somebody was like, you know what, we should just use this crap for production. And you know there was somebody that said a long time ago, that doesn't seem like a good idea to me at all. <laughs> and they didn't listen to that guy at all. So, Yeah, that install yeah. screen that says over 1 billion devices run Java. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, God. Oh, oh juicy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As yeah, pen testers were like, delightful. Is that like McDonald's, like over 99 billion served? It's like, how many hamburgers? That's a lot of hamburgers. That's a that lot of cows. Lot. That is a lot. The floor uh, is Java. The floor is Java is fantastic. Well done. <laughs> you're well done. Uh, so we're not going to uh, – we'll start in about five minutes. So if you're here, you're here early. Thank you so much for being here. We're on Discord if you want to continue the conversation with your fellow attendees. We're on YouTube if you want to talk there. And then Discord and YouTube somehow talk to each other, most likely through Java. Uh, to have that conversation. <laughs> it's JavaScript, Jason. It's totally different. Yeah. But now – Corey's going to find out hate mail. Somebody's going to type in, Corey, just, you know, JavaScript and Java are not the same thing. They're not remote here. Be like, it's, it's all JavaScript, always has been. But there's also Java, apparently, which is... Apparently is a thing. I saw a tweet today that said, hey, just a reminder that today is day nine for most of your InfoSec professionals who started their week last week, and it's just continued on and to be mm -hmm. kind to them. And so just a reminder, be kind to the InfoSec professionals. And it's right before Christmas. Like, yeah, there was one a... tweet I saw. It's like, things will ramp down in December, they said. It'll cool <laughs> off and we'll have some time to relax. They said, no. No. Yeah, this is way worse than that Christmas tree burning. It, was this the same time last year where I took a week off because I was super burned out? And then there was like an emergency webcast about solar winds? Was it the same time Might last have year? Been. Might have been. That's usually where I pick up the phone and I talk to Deb. Yeah, I was saying, usually <laughs> when Jason leaves, something bad happens. Like, like pandemic. Yeah. Wow, we're moving this whole conference virtually. Oh, good lord! Jason's on a cruise ship right Sorry. now. Perfect. Sorry. Let's make it happen. And I'm always like, yeah, sure, we'll be fine. We'll yeah, be imagine working it. at SolarWinds right now, and how many people you have to tell we don't use Java, or maybe they do, maybe they do, but you know they're getting <laughs> oh, a lot okay, of questions. Wait a well, it's funny that you mentioned that. I'm going to go through the list of companies, but I think Kaseya was one of the vendors. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure. There was one of them, one of the RMM tools that was out. Yeah, he's, already already he's already dead. He's already dead. Stop. <laughs> Stop beating him up. He can't get any better. Uh, three minutes, everybody. Three minutes. If you're here early, thanks for being here early. This is a newscast. Hey, the news happens every Monday, even though I'm not normally here. Uh, it happens every yeah. Monday, and it's fantastic. And so if you're like, the news happens every Monday. Yeah, the Black Hills does the news every Monday. If you want to hit the, I guess I have to say smash that subscribe smash button. That subscribe button. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. I, I, like, we always feel uncomfortable doing this because you, some YouTubers are really good at doing things like, hey, and if you guys could take an opportunity and smash that subscribe button and hit the little <laughs> notification, we would greatly appreciate that. Nope. And then I've been watching Linus Tech Tips lately. I know other people have been seeing this, but he had trouble with System76 and trying to get an everyday driver Linux system. And I've been watching it. That dude is so smooth at like sneaking in advertisements, like mm -hmm. right in the middle. He'll be like talking about blah, 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 blah. And you know what? 
I think hats are important. I think hats keep our heads warm. And it's just like, my God, the guy's a genius. Hey, John, I like your shirt. Did you get that at Spearfish General Store? <laughs> I, I did, actually. You know what's amazing? At Spearfish General Store, they also have these blue Spearfishing shirts, the red team shirts. They're all, they're all sold out. Actually, we're kind of sold out. Yeah, we shut the, we shut the, the store down, down. This, is, this, is down this morning. Nightmare week. <laughs> See what I mean? We suck at this, right? Yeah. Like we're not good. So double click no. the like. If they double click subscribe, will it just unsubscribe them? Like will they subscribe and then immediately? So do not double click the subscribe button. Yeah, just hit it once. Once. Just hit it once if you Smash do that. And also, the worst thing about you hitting the subscribe stuff is we don't know what happens. We just think it's important. <laughs> the algorithm knows. The algorithm knows. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you know what happens is some Java applet kicks off. <laughs> uh, just a, We didn't shut the store down because of a Java issue. We shut it down so that the team could spend the next two weeks enjoying life and spending time with their families instead of shipping yes. things. Uh -huh. uh, so that's why we shut it down. It is a weird coincidence, though. Huh. Yeah, it is weird how yeah. that worked out. Yeah. Huh. yeah. Hmm. So, John, yeah. why'd you put your right. in Java? What? Sorry. Are you ready? John, it's, it's 430. 430. All right. So, let's do it. Like I said, I'll do the intro and some slides about 20 minutes. We'll come back and then we'll bring in the panel. So, Ryan, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. I'm going to start sharing my screen so it's ready for you and then you can pick the camera or my screen or whatever. Do your thing, Ryan. Here we go. Hello and welcome to another edition of Black Hills Information Security Talking About News. This is a very special edition of BHI is Talking About News because we're going to be talking about Java and logs. As I like to say in my slides, there are two things that I, I hate, like a lot. So we're going to set up, we're going to talk about the vulnerabilities that are currently going through the internet in like absolutely everything. And then we're going to bring in our illustrious panel to discuss it in a little bit more detail. So let's jump in. So as far as we can tell, the first time that this started was some proof of concept code was released on Twitter and on GitHub, which to be honest is usually where you want your proof of concept code for every vulnerability to be dumped immediately. I don't think that Tang Xiaofeng 7 knew exactly just how bad this would actually turn out to be. Can't really talk to them, I don't know, but it's interesting because whenever this got dropped and it was released on Twitter immediately, there was a wide variety of people that are like, wait a minute, if we're looking at log4j and logging in Java in Apache, I think log4j is used in this app, in this app, in this app. And what we actually saw on Twitter was an absolute crap storm of people going through and finding all of these different applications that were using Java and using log4j underneath the hood. And I'll talk about what this actual exploit and what this vulnerability does it's actually a command execution vulnerability, and we'll talk about what that means and how it works here in just a little bit. But as I said, it escalated rather quickly online. Here, Cass Van Kooten, he basically decided he was going to do some testing in Apple products to see if it's actually vulnerable, and sure enough, it actually was. Now, when this whole thing started breaking down in conversation, Initially, people were trying product after product after product 
And there were some people that were responding and saying, hey, you shouldn't be releasing quote unquote zero days like this online. And Cass has a good disclaimer. He said the issue is already very widespread, wasn't the first one to tell Apple, and it's a prime example of just how deep this actually goes. I don't want to say this is a pig pile situation, but it definitely seems like it's crowdsourced enumeration of vulnerability and attack surface for the whole internet, which is honestly the way that I think things should always be done. But none of this is new. And the beginning in the pre-show is talking about how I found this, I don't want to say humorous, but I was enjoying it. And I think the reason why is all of this has happened before, all of this will happen again. So it's really hard to get completely bent out of shape whenever you've seen this type of thing show up again and again in history. So if we go back in time, Dan Gear releases a paper from At Stake that basically says if everyone's using Microsoft products, we're a monoculture, and now all it takes is one vulnerability that can take over multiple systems. Now, it was funny because Dan was actually fired over that article because the main customer for At Stake at the time was Microsoft. A little bit of bad politics there. But it at least started talking about this type of issue as a problem. And it also showed corporate America's willingness to fire people to try to keep crap quiet. Move forward to SQL Slammer. SQL Slammer was actually very, very similar to this particular vulnerability because it was a vulnerability in the JET, Access, Excel, .NET, early .NET, ASP frameworks for how Microsoft products communicated backend to databases. And it turns out that literally hundreds of products were actually vulnerable because hundreds of products used the exact same library. And we actually saw South Korea go offline for a short period of time. Literally millions of StarCraft players screamed out in anguish for that one. Shellshock is another example. Shellshock was an example of how you can take input from the web, something like a user agent string, which is very similar to this one, and you could use a variation of the Linux fork bomb where you could fork and you could actually execute shell code on a remote computer system. The reason why this one's close to this type of problem that we're dealing with now, excuse me, is you're running into a scenario where we don't quite know the entire attack surface. So if we're looking at Apache, well, Apache was installed on absolutely everything, all the way down to like home routers. So it wasn't an issue of just patching an operating system, like a Microsoft patch, it was literally dealing with hundreds, if not thousands of vendors and all of their individual patches. Then we saw the same type of thing for Heartbleed. Then we saw it from Apache Struts. So the point I'm trying to get at is we shouldn't, as security organizations in the industry, we shouldn't be in a situation where we're doing the exact same panic dance again and again and again. These types of vulnerabilities show up. They're going to repeat. We're going to see them again. I can see the future. This is going to happen again. So every single lesson that we are learning as we're working through this particular vulnerability needs to be something that we institutionalize in our organization. And in this opening part of this webcast, I'm going to give you some tools and techniques to try to help you with this as well. Next, how does this work? Well, what this does is it's command injection in log4j. How exactly does that work? Well, let's talk about how logging works, okay? Whenever you send input into an application, it could be a standard application that's standalone, it could be a web application, 
those web applications generate logs, okay? So they're gonna generate these logs. And any type of application library, whether you're working with Python or Perl or Java, has libraries that can be used to actually handle and take care of that logging for you. The unfortunate thing about how log4j actually works is you can actually insert JNDI commands in the middle of the text, and then the logging service will actually interpret that on your behalf. This gets into an input sanitization problem. There's data that goes into an application, like an input field, a username, a password, something you're searching for, and then there's code to be executed. So if I actually say run bin sh on a web server, that's code. When the logging facility should handle it as just text, to just log it. So if we go back to command injection vulnerabilities, you could do gibberish semicolon ls semicolon gibberish. And for many web servers, it'll actually fork the command execution because that semicolon will be a command delimiter and it'll execute the ls command. Kind of similar to what we're seeing here, where the logging facility in log4j can read this JNDI, which is Java Naming and Directory Interface. It's actually an API. And then you can tell it to do an LDAP command. In this situation, we could say LDAP, go to evil.org 3839, port 3839, and you could pull down some evil. What is that evil? Again, the difference between data and executable code is incredibly important because the logging facility in this example is going to execute that string at that first bullet point. It should just receive it as straight log data and write it to a file and ignore it. Don't look at it, don't touch it. If you do, it'll think it's people and then it just won't stop. So in actuality, what does happen is when it actually sees that, it'll try to execute it. Now, there's some additional problems like evil, we could download class files. And then that tells the logging facility how it needs to help parse the logs, which means we can now run code execution on these computer systems. And yes, all of this can be obfuscated. And that's why I have this wonderful hide and seek picture. Because it isn't an issue of just going through and looking for a specific string like JNDI and then filtering that out on your web servers or any other applications at the perimeter of your environment. It actually is far more difficult. Because it's a logging facility, it has the ability of parsing and handling a variety of different types of encodings. Yes, this gets better. So you can encode it and obfuscate it, which makes it incredibly difficult for parsing and string identification for an alert like an IDS signature, but it'll still execute on the logging server. So this whole entire platform, this whole entire API is designed to just handle logs, but Java also incorporated the capability for it to do execution for things like LDAP, Corba, RMI, DNS as well. So the one that's actively being exploited is the LDAP functionality. So what we're seeing here, if you wanna boil it down to a key component is data should be handled as data. It should not be handled as executable code. Input sanitization, if it's not done correctly, will ultimately lead to command injection and remote command execution on a remote system. So the mitigations, they seem simple, right? 
like just upgrade to Apache Log4j 2.15.0. Okay, well, what's running that in your environment? I'm gonna show you a couple of websites here to get you an idea just how bad this is. But the answer is everything. If you look at Java, anything that's using Java is probably using Log4j. And there's a lot of things that use Java. We are talking about many people's first coding language and computer science degree programs is Java. So they just get comfortable writing in Java and that's what they write everything in. You can also set the system property format messages no lookups to true. You can set the JVM parameter dlog4j2 formatting message no lookups equal to true as well. You could also remove the JNDI lookup class from the class path. Showing all of these because, once again, I've been doing this a long time, it is very common where a patch is released and then very quickly the offensive community finds a way to bypass the way the patch was implemented. So you may want to implement multiple layers of defense if it doesn't actually crash anything in your environment. Because just implementing the patch sometime, especially one that's rushed fairly quickly, sometimes attackers will find bypass techniques to get around those. So if you have multiple different examples of mitigations, and I would also put in block, if you can, outbound LDAP lookups from your environment, because by and large, most of the attacks that we're seeing are using LDAP lookups, do multiple things. Don't just issue the patch and think that you got it covered because now the entire hacking community is looking at this and ultimately I can, I can bet that we're going to run into another vulnerability in the very near future in this particular category. So running multiple mitigations is also important. So I also wanna cover how you can actually find this on your hosts. How can we actually identify if our systems are running anything that uses Java? Well, you have some things that you can work with. The first thing that you can use is Microsoft Endpoint Mapper. This is the updated version of Microsoft SCCM. And it allows you to take an inventory of installed files and installed applications on your environment. The downside for this is it tends to be a nightmare to actually get this installed and working properly. It's not an easy task to just do over the course of like an afternoon. So that would be a long-term strategic thing that you would want to implement in your environment. Once again, going back to the core premise that this is gonna happen again, folks. If you wanna do it quickly though, you can use WMIC. WMIC is cool for a wide variety of reasons. You can implement it in PowerShell scripts. You can run it directly from the command line. It's pretty cool, and it's flexible for tactical situations like this. You can do WMIC space, uh, space forward slash node colon at systems.txt. Now, the cool thing about running this with systems.txt is you can put in a list of IP addresses and host names in systems.txt. So you can get a list of all of your host names or all of your Windows IP addresses in your environment. If you run this as a domain administrator, it'll actually execute this command on all the systems. And then it'll output it as a really nice CSV file. And then you can import it into Excel. And then you can sort it and do a search for things like Java. So we're gonna dump out product. We're gonna get the name, version, and vendor. If you have a product like Tanium, use that to query your environment. If you have other software inventory tools, I'm gonna throw a shout out to HD Moore's company, Rumble. Um, they actually have some queries that you can do that does software inventory. And then yes, most vulnerability scanning platforms like Tenable actually have plugins 
that'll actively check for the presence of this vulnerability as well. Also, if you're on Linux systems and you wanna see if maybe your system was compromised over the course of the weekend, Powell released this really great tweet where he said you could do find, start at the top level directory, and you could do a search on modified time or M time, minus four. Now, whenever you say minus four, that doesn't mean back four hours. That means back four 24-hour blocks. Easier way is go back four days, but it's basically 24-hour blocks back from the time that you actually executed the individual command. And the reason why you would want to focus on like var, temp, dev, any of these different world writable directories is if your systems were compromised, more than likely it was unprivileged. So they got shell on the server. You look in these directories associated with uh, like variable directories for web servers or any applications that may be vulnerable, focus on those directories and see if there was any modifications on those systems over the time that this exploit was released. Also, if you ever see something that Howl releases online, there's this great website called explainshell.com where you can copy and paste what Howl shares into it and it will explain it for you, which I think is funny because really it's just parsing the man pages and putting it up there. It's like a more complicated way of RTFMing, but still, it works really well to explain what actually is going on here. You can also find it on the network. There's this tool you may or may not have heard of. You've never been to a webcast with me. We have Zeek and we have Rita. Um, Zeek is an amazing parser for network traffic. And one of the things that it captures is it captures things like user agent strength. That's key. And I'll show you on another slide here in a second. You can actually do a search for the word Java on your user agent strings and hopefully identify different applications that are using Java underneath the hood. So you can go through, do a quick and dirty grep on that for Java. And I'll talk about what Rita can do, which also will give you those user agent strings as well. This is an example of a Zeek log for a very out of date Java implementation where you can see what the Zeek log looks like. You can see the request, you can see the URL, where it was actually going, and then you can see the user agent string, where we got Mozilla 5.0, Windows, MSIE 7, but you can see Java 1.5.0 underscore 08. So if you have Zeek running on the perimeter of your environment, two magic things are happening for you. Now you can quickly query if there's any systems in your environment that are using Java. You could even do a search for that, like, JNDI string to see if there's any strings of actual exploitation. And you can pull all this data and you can now run Rita against it to do beaconing analysis as well. So why would you do beaconing analysis? The two questions that management is going to ask again and again and again is number one, they're going to ask what systems are vulnerable. We can query that through our out outgoing egress network connections with Zeek. We can also look on individual hosts on the network, try to hunt these systems down that are running Java to make sure that they're implemented. But if we're compromised, well, that becomes something completely different at that point. Now what you're looking for is beacons. You're trying to identify if there's any systems in your environment that are making outgoing connections trying to get command and control. One of the big things that we've been seeing with this particular vulnerability and being exploited in the wild is a lot of attackers are using this to upload crypto miners to systems. And by the nature of crypto mining, they constantly have to check in with other systems. 
that creates a very definable beacon pattern. And tools like Rita, which can read in your Zeek logs, can tell you if any of these systems are beaconing out of your environment. All of this is free. Like, other than mentioning Tanium and Rumble, it doesn't cost you anything. So there's really no good excuse to not get out there as quickly as possible and start implementing some of these things in your environment. If not for this current panic thing that we're working through, then for the one that's going to be coming in just a couple of years where we get to do all of this all over again. I want to do a shout out on a number of different great write-ups that are out there. One, anytime stuff like this happens, follow Rob Fuller or Mubix on Twitter. Rob does a great job of breaking down these technical things with wonderful little whiteboard illustrations. This one shows what current exploitation attempts look like, but then he shows you what some people are trying and just how deep this is going to go. This isn't over, folks. Many people are focusing on their perimeter, and the little write-ups that Rob did are showing how people are actively trying to exploit logging functionality because many of our logging servers are in the inside of our environment. So imagine, if you will, you have something that logs in the edge of your environment, and then it logs to a logging server, a SIM, on the inside of your environment, and it's somehow using Java. They're trying to take advantage of that as well. So this gives you great visibility on where this attack is actually going. So watch the space that Rob, uh, Rob Fuller provides on Twitter. Huge shout out for lunasec.io, great blog write-up, talking about the timeline and how it actually works. And also I mentioned HD Moore and Rumble. They had an amazing blog post as well, where they basically were talking about this particular vulnerability and they absolutely get into some marketing propaganda, which is fine, showing how you can actually find applications that are using Log4j with Rumble for inventory management. But below, they break down some of the effective products and services. You can see Apache, Cassandra, Druid, Drobo, Flink, Geode, Hadoop, James, Kafka, Spark, Broadcom, Cisco, Elastic. Well, right now, Elastic is saying their mitigations make it difficult to exploit. I expect that to actually change here in the very near future. HCL, VMware. But this isn't an exhaustive list. There's actually much larger lists that are available, and I'll share, you, share these with you in the chat here in just a little bit. But this one right here, this uh, from SwitHack, these are all of the different vendors that have issued write-ups and advisories for their product being vulnerable to this particular attack. This list is substantial. I've been seeing a lot of Twitter feeds online that are talking about just how bad this is. This is very bad. And almost everything that you're receiving and you're getting from people talking about how to identify it in your environment from the stuff I'm talking about on Zeek, WMIC, using inventory management systems, these are all kind of stopgap solutions. We have to come up with a way where we can start doing inventory of software and hardware in our environment. This is a hard problem in security. Many times I think that there's better things that we can spend our time on, but we can't continue to ignore this. Because as I listed out at the beginning of this little presentation, we've dealt with this problem before many times. We're going to deal with it again. I also want to just throw a shout out. Kaseya, my heart goes out to you guys. It has not been a good year for the Kaseya team at all. 
So that is my quick write-up. Now I wanted to bring in the rest of our crew so that we could talk about this and talk about some of the stories and some of the things that we've been seeing. We have Corey, we have Joff, we have Steve. Deb is here as well. Ben is here. So folks that are on with me, tell me, like, when you're looking at this, what are some of the stories for this particular vulnerability being released that are that kind of strike you as funny or interesting? I think my favorite hot take was that the people who are... Sp- like logging is something that everyone says you should do, not only for security, but also for like just code and development practices. But the people who just aren't logging anything are like, I, I told you you shouldn't log anything. We'll never have any vulnerabilities. But <laughs> oh you know, it's just God. funny how it, it attacks a weak point where you have, you know, really you should be using these libraries like Log4j to log user activity, user input and things like that. But then they can bite you. It's just kind of funny how... The, the developers that were like, oh, I'm lazy. I don't log anything or like, oh, I don't have to do anything. I don't have to patch. Well, it's fine. Corey, it's funny that you mentioned that because that's what everyone said after Solar Winds. They're like, well, we didn't update or patch our servers ever. So this just goes to show that we should wait six to eight months before patching. Oh, it's, the wrong, <laughs> it's the wrong lesson you're learning here. So. Hey, John. Yeah. I just want to say uh, I did a a poll on YouTube during your explanation and 97% of people said your explanation made sense. Uh, that was about 600 or so votes. So good job, John. I'll take that. It's almost like I've done this before and I was waiting for you and Deb to jump in. And like, <laughs> oh, what is that? What is that? So like if I go to, so here's what I, I think I gathered. Like if I go to a website and I can put something in a form I can yep. just put this code in to it and then it just breaks it. Well, it doesn't actually break it. That's where it gets interesting. It could mm-hmm. absolutely break it. But what it gets interesting is if you actually do that quote unquote LDAP query, that's one of those functionalities that the logging feature has. If you set that up, you can actually get it to execute code on the system. This is really easy to do for people that even have basic understanding of dark arts of information security. But like your general person just copying and pasting a string and breaking a web server and causing it to crash, that's not going to happen. It just isn't going to happen in most situations. I say that with that caveat because I just literally scrolled through well over 200 vendors and they will all be, implement, like they will all be impacted by this differently as well. And then my follow-up question is, does this only matter in English? This is only, does- no, it, it, it's so... It doesn't matter only in English because the, as far as like the log functionality, as far mm-hmm. as what language, doesn't care. Okay. Um, as long as you put that string in, the actual libraries that the logging functionality in Java is using, it'll recognize that as a string that it needs to execute as well. So, so I, had a, I had a comment I wanted to make, uh, John. Uh, part, of, uh, part of this, this whole sequence reminds me a lot of, of the Java serialization and deserialization of object vulnerabilities that we've seen in the past. And one of the aspects that I've discovered in, in exploring that area in past pen testing was that there were potentially multiple installations of vulnerable class libraries within one single Java, uh, Java uh, deployment on the server side. And so I, I think it, it, it's not only bad, but I think it's bad potentially exponentially because actually finding it and getting rid of it may not just be in the obvious locations on your servers. Mm. Right. Well, As Corey said earlier, how deep does it go? And well, most scanners may not even find this if it's 
deep within a web app or something, right? So this gets into something that I that I wanted to ask you all because I honestly don't know, right? And I know that on webcast you'd be like, we have all the answers. No. With this particular vulnerability where it's going, one of the things that I think is interesting is we have the logging functionality, but it's calling JNDI. And I think that what you're going to see a lot of exploit developers do is they're going to start looking at what other classes in Java can actually make that request to JNDI and how they handle that data. Logging is used absolutely everywhere, but remember, whenever you're passing things around in Java, it's going to go through a bunch of different libraries of functionality. I don't think this is over. I think that once they found that this pathway exists with the logging functionality, they're going to see if they can get other applications to trigger and do the same thing as well. Right. And those applications could be on a Windows environment. They could be on a Linux environment. So that's what kind of makes this thing so dangerous is it can be executed from just about anywhere and behind your firewall, like we were discussing earlier. Mm -hmm. And if you're on a pen test or a red team or doing an assessment of an organization, make sure you're checking the exploits that you're using against those companies, because I've seen people putting, um, you know, their exploits on GitHub and those can be modified or put the launch any kind of string. So just make sure you know what you're doing. Check your code before you go testing this in an environment, right? So that Steve, how would, I, how would I validate this in an undestructive way? Hashtag canary tokens, spoiler alert. Yeah, canary tokens, DNS lookup, something like that. And it would probably be good to use your own burp collaborator server or something like that. Instead of sending out client internal network environment variables and stuff like that to third-party services such as Canary Tokens, so where you can use your own service to uh, yeah. To do that so, lookup, so to explain certainly. that for anyone that doesn't uh, that doesn't isn't familiar with that concept, basically because the host is doing a, a DNS lookup when it when it's trying to connect to that external host, you can basically monitor uh, like a Burp collaborator can do it or a Canary Token can do it. You can monitor for a, a DNS identifier that's unique that you that you have that you generated. And if the generator or if the DNS name is resolved, then you know that the vault library is vulnerable because you just triggered a resolution to that unique ID. So I just wanted to echo also on, on something that John said that that this is going to become a class of vulnerability in the future. I, I firmly believe that John's exactly right there. I think we'll see continued exploitation uh, exploration, sorry, and and research in a number of areas here it's kind of opened a door for, for people to start looking a lot deeper. Very, very similar to, to when we had that whole experience uh, with OpenSSL many years ago that opened this whole door for people to start looking around a lot more in these foundational classes. And there's a lot here. I mean, we, you know, I, I can tell you I have found vulnerabilities previously undiscovered in Java class libraries before. So this is, this is a big deal. It's also a big deal because no click, no fish, no user interaction required. It's been a while since we had one of those. There's no, it's not like, oh, be extra careful with your inboxes. Um, this time it's, you know, honestly, it's more of an incident response thing. Just monitor, like John said, monitor for outbound connections, things like that, that you might already have been compromised, you know, if you didn't have logging. So actually, actually, that, that reminds me of a really good point, Corey. And, and that's something I don't think that that came across very well in some of the explanation to date and that is it's it's been a long time since we've seen direct remote code execution on a network listening service and this class of vulnerability certainly is one of those now, that may not be an entirely accurate statement let's just say we haven't seen a, a, a we level seen of one this widespread exactly and you know remote 
code execution via a connected network service is is really the worst form of of vulnerabilities that you can have because you know anybody can come at it. It's not that you have to be necessarily inside a network. There may be multiple pivot opportunities or lateral movement opportunities that that are opened up by it. it there's just an enormous attack surface that gets exposed with the, these classes of vulnerability. Yeah, and the data is passed around a lot. Log data is passed from one host. It's not like traditional network segmentation may not work because it's not like you have to have a service listening out on the internet. It could just be input is parsed from one application, then sent to another server that does logging, then sent to another library that does log parsing. And the shell might come from the logging server deep within the network, right? So it's not like, oh, you have to have log4j open to the internet. It's just it's a library vulnerability, so it can go deeper than you might initially expect. Just looked like it's not necessarily part of your internet attack surface. It could be sitting on a box that's totally inside your internal network and, and protected. I, I would say I would say that you know it, it, this is hard for people to get their head around. Like you said, this logging functioni- functionality is called. It's fairly safe to assume if you're running an application on the edge of your environment and it's using Java, it's vulnerable. I think start with that default assumption right now i'd agree absolutely uh, i got a question for everybody one is does this need to be a new attack inside backdoors and breaches and two mm-hmm. is this going to be in miter soon if it isn't already um i think backdoors and breaches we have like a remote code execution or a vulnerability in a web service that would fall underneath that category i don't think that we need to get that granular but i would say if you're if you're an incident master you can add life to that card by saying this is the type of vulnerability that was used. And I think it'll be a valid one for quite some time. What you're going to see with this vulnerability is you're going to see Apache is going to be patched. um, VMware is going to get patched. All of the big vendors are going to get patched, right? And then everyone's going to think that it's over. And it goes back to what Steve and Corey and Joff were talking about for pen testing. For pen testers, this is going to be a gift that keeps on giving because there's so much custom Java code out there. Almost every single application or every single environment that you test these days has some type of custom Java app that they have written that does something. And because it isn't in the news, because there is an active patching being released because it's created in-house, this is going to become an attack vector for pen testers because it's going to be very easy for them to whip up a proof of concept exploit mm-hmm. for these other applications as and, well. And we're going to see deployments of software that are not, that don't that don't have adequate patching capability to actually remediate the issue. I mean, there's going to be a lot of those. There'll be some places where it'll get actively remediated, but there's going to be a lot of other think Internet of Things that, that, that just cannot be remediated. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if this could be an additional add-on vector to something like phishing, to where instead of sending a payload that's executing process injection or something like that, it's just sending these strings out to get caught by logs and then get parsed and then give that attacker access to whatever server that was instead of the user's endpoint. And that's, you know, honestly, if I was going to put this in, I'm waiting for this to actually show up in Burp as another script that you can execute within Burp, like with intruder or repeater. That's that's honestly for web app attack surfaces, this is where it's going to be as well. I do like, somebody pointed out that my lips are chapped. I'm like, that just shows that my camera is probably working pretty well. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my lips hurt real bad. Now I'm self-conscious about it. It's like, yeah. Nice lips, John. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see some chapstick. 
can I ask can I ask a question about cost just as someone who is just sure. outside doesn't understand too much of what you guys are talking about? Um, I know you say Zeke and Rita are free resources moving forward for fixes, but is there any way to estimate what the total cost is of this today? Uh, you, with this particular cost, if you look at the damages, we're already seeing organizations get hit by ransomware. You look at the amount of time that teams have put into this to try to fix it. It would not surprise me if you're looking at already hundreds of millions of dollars as far as cost around the entire planet. It would not surprise me if the overall cost goes into like a billion with something like this, just because of the total surface. So if you're looking at like all of those different vendors, every one of those vendors dev team is now spinning up like emergency patches to get out for these tools. And that's expensive for a company to do. And that's right now being replicated across hundreds of companies trying to deal with this. But I think the biggest concern isn't those companies that are trying to deal with this. It's all of these weird kind of fringe embedded device companies that are using Java mm -hmm. that are completely unaware that this even exists or even worse yet, the different products that exist that are using Java under the hood that can't get patched. So when we're looking at the cost on this, I think that that's a great, great question. You know, what's the cost to remediate in an organization? What is the cost to patch? That's a series of costs to look at. But then building that cost up, what's the cost to help instrument us so we can detect this better in the future? Looking at something like Rumble, looking at something like Tanium, looking at something like uh, Zeek and Rita to help work with inventory management for critical controls one and two. Those are all costs, every one of them. So it's very, very difficult to say this is what the cost is going to be because there's so many different facets of how this cost is going to hit organizations as a whole. That's a great question. I didn't give you an answer at all. If you're a developer and all of a sudden you're seeing all this stuff happen, you wrote this code, you made these things, it was supposed to be wonderful, and then you see like all this stuff is just, and do you just throw up your hands and go like, then nothing's secure, why don't I just go home? I think you could definitely do that. I mean, that's definitely a possibility, but, but shit, that's why I'm interested in this as a field, right? I mean, you look at all the people, we have a couple thousand people that were on this. Honestly, most of us, the reason why we're attracted to computer security is not in spite of things like this, but because of things like this. I've been around this a long time, folks. For some of you that are doing this and this is your first rodeo, the next few days are going to suck. And I apologize for that. But, you know, one of the quotes I love from, I can't remember the name of the band, um, AJR, I think it said, 100 bad days make 100 good stories, 100 good stories make me interesting at parties. You're all developing some really good stories. And the important thing is not just the story behind it, but also making sure that this doesn't repeat again. So embrace it, embrace the suck. So I wanted to ask, like, responsible disclosure wise. How, like, so let's say that you're the person who, let's say you're the person who discovered this vulnerability. Would you report this to three to 500 vendors and hope that they fix it? Like, it's kind of interesting. They just dumped it on GitHub, right? Maybe not understanding the ramifications, but it kind of brings up maybe a, a gap in the responsible disclosure process where how can you possibly responsibly disclose to like, this is a vulnerability to Log4j. And then I guess Log4j would have to like, just, you know, how many places is it being used? It's just an interesting problem where you mm -hmm. have potentially thousands of libraries that are dependent on this one library, but you can't really like go out and Google and find like, oh, it's just a list. You just report it to this search or whatever. And they just, you know, distribute it. It's just an interesting disclosure thing. So the closest thing that I can think of for somebody that tried to do the right thing was Dan Kaminsky. 
So when Dan Kaminsky came up with his vulnerability for the DNS attacks, it was interesting because he reached out to a handful of different vendors and companies. Sorry, my birds are all excited. And basically told them, hey, this is something you need to patch immediately. And it was hard. And if you talk to Dan about it, he basically said it sucked. It was not fun at all. I'll be right back. Is yeah, he- we were talking about the cost earlier. I imagine the uh, third-party services like Azure and AWS and things like that that are running these vulnerable apps. How many uh, people are going to wake up to bills going through the roof, right? for all the processes with the crypto miners hitting everything because <laughs> that was like the the probably the third or fourth tweet was that i saw in this whole thing was like oh confirmed crypto miner install yeah Gosh. i mean it's like, i guess it'll be funny to see offenders comp i assume they'll have to comp it's like we were vulnerable <laughs> we can't charge you for the compute resources then. oh no they totally will they totally yeah. well. <laughs> well, you know, other, other uh, articles that I saw show a bunch of botnets jumping on board as well mm-hmm. because, you know, immediately that you've got remote code execution, they're like, oh, well, we need another bot out there. <laughs> cool. So we're, we're going to see, uh, you know, follow-on effect there of, of the obvious is uh, distributed denial of service uh, via botnet controlled entities. So we'll probably see uh, a growth uh, in that activity as well. So this is, it's one of those that's going to go on for, for a number of years, the ripple effects, be, um, because of severity. Again, think SolarWinds, uh, think, uh, you know, uh, MS-08067. Everybody remember that one? Favorite of all pen testers of all time, right? <laughs> you know, it's that kind of thing. I'm a big fan of 08067 and it's 03026 because I'm old. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember my first, it was like my first week on the job, uh, like first time in IT and stuff, and I had to respond to the I love you virus, and it was like everywhere. <laughs> yeah, so I'm dating myself, but uh, Amanda just said, what about mobile devices, especially Android? Mm. Ouch. Mm-hmm. Once again, I, I, I think that goes back to, we honestly don't know how deep this rabbit hole is going to. That was my takeaway over the weekend is that so there was a tweet that showed up about the Mars rover head infrastructure that was using the software yeah. stack. And like, if this, if this bug exists on like a planet, you know, thousands of miles away from us, it's going to be, it's going to be it's everywhere. It's going to be bad one. Someone yeah. out there would I always world. wanted to pwn a rover. That's the awesome. longest <laughs> potato or the longest Pringles can in the world is now pointed at Mars and someone's sending the payload and, and, going, <laughs> <laughs> and going over ultra long what, uh, wavelength radio or whatever. So, yeah, there's been some cool things. Somebody said Randori has released that they've actually got uh, instances where this particular attack has been used to gain AWS keys, which, you know, yeah, it's going to be able to get just about everything. The other thing I didn't talk about, but I should, is a number of people are saying this is going to have a long tail on it. And basically what that means is we're going to fix a bunch of stuff very quickly. Then all those custom apps and all those lesser known apps, they're going to take much, much, much longer to show up. I honestly, Joff, we're still exploiting Heartbleed. I was going to say Shell exactly. Shock. <laughs> shell Shock, right? I seriously wouldn't be surprised if we're actually exploiting this in environments probably 10 years from now. It mm. wouldn't surprise me that much at this stage of the game. Wow. Yeah, and it's, wow. it's pretty easy to fuzz, too. Like, a lot of certain exploits are hard to fuzz. This one, you just take a string, you generate it, and then you just spray it out everywhere you can, right? You spray it against your home router, you spray it against your, you know, thermostat, you know, your Mars rover, whatever you can find. You just, you, and then see what happens, basically. See what sticks. 
This is pretty awesome. We have people that are in attendance that are smarter than I am. By, like <laughs> a lot. So like Jen Savage just pointed out, I'm a huge fan. You know, for Android, a lot of developers have used Android logging uh, Log4j. And Mubix, of course, is here as well. So like I said, be watching the feed because we have people that are wicked smart sharing information in there as well. So, John, uh, can we get a proof of life on that bird? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, whoever no. commented that your canaries at home triggered that was triggered. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just like, sorry, the birds no. walks right off. No more noises. They're in the room next to me, and our freezer's over there. And my kids must have gone over to get some food, and they turned the lights on. I shut the lights off while I present, and they're perfectly cool with that. Somebody leaves the lights on and goes upstairs, and then they just start freaking out. Okay, at the beginning, I thought that you were going to put the birds in the freezer, so I'm glad it didn't go that <laughs> <No>. way. <laughs> it's them to calm down. So, no, I, I like Love my it. birds a lot, even if they annoy, even if they annoy me on webcasts every once in a while as well. So an interesting uh, question in the chat about: Is this warmable? Like, do you think oh, somebody yeah. could convert this into like once it gets into the network, it then scans the internal network and then moves laterally and does all that? I think it so absolutely. So I don't think the exploit itself would do that, right? It would be the follow-on payload that would then continue to look for that yeah. vulnerability inside the network. Hundred yeah, percent. So this is just an exploit right now. There's no, there's no payload. I mean, you can put any payload you want with it. But what we're talking about right now is the exploit. And this exploit is trivial. It's shell shock level of mm -hmm. trivial to exploit. So absolutely, you know, it, I, I, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm surprised we haven't seen it wormed out yet. Sure. Uh, how many minutes have you got? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I bet you before the Stop. end of the webcast. Stop. <laughs> so we, we've talked about this before that you know criminals have potentially like a boardroom that they go to and they have a whiteboard and they're like all right everybody it's time to warm this thing uh who's working on that and they're like, oh you got it cool and you got like an agile board happening and people writing code is, is is that happening or do you think it's just so generally like at this situation i'm sure someone's doing it in their basement but if you look at like organized crime and nation states using it they generally don't do worms, right? Because worms are very flashy. They show up, everyone comes together to destroy the worm. And the people that write the worms tend to end up in prison. Um, the best way to do it is to basically use it tactically. Use it in specific targeted attacks. Be very, very, very stealthy about how you're using it. And then once you get to the point where you're not making any money on it, then open it up to a worm. So I don't think we're at that point yet. So John, I'm writing a new app and I'm, I'm gonna trust all the user input. Is that a good idea? is absolutely a great idea. And on behalf of the entire pen testing and hacker community, we say thank you. Send me your address and I'll send you a Christmas card. That's a great <laughs> Oh, you'll get my address, don't worry. You can oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you'll get it. This seems like this is the apocalypse. Mm. Oh, no. Mm. This is bad. Mm. We're not there yet. No. Well, friends didn't let friends use Java anyway, right? So, like, that's... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> So people are asking, why isn't Java fully deprecated yet? Um, it's still one of the top 10 used languages in the world. For a long time, it was number one. We were talking about billions of devices run it. It, 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 it. For a long time, you had C, C++, and Java to write your application in. And to be honest, that's not even an option for most people. They're going to go for Java every single time. So that's why this just isn't going away anytime real soon. You've got so much legacy applications. And people are still writing stuff in Java to this day because there's a lot of Java developers out there. 
that skill set is relatively cheap and plentiful to get in to help develop apps. Do you think there's nation states right now that are bummed that this is out because they've been using it for a long time and they're like, oh, God. So I haven't had anybody call that out yet. Um, so the Hal Pomerantz command that we ran earlier, I think, is important. We're going to have to wait. If that was something that was happening, I think we'll find out by Friday. Because many organizations that are getting hit with this, what they do is they update their signatures. And then they don't just look at their current date going forward, but they go through and they look at like network traffic. They go back and they look through logs from their servers going backwards. So they'll go through and look at their web logs to see if this particular attack was actually being utilized beforehand. But it wouldn't surprise me if this has been used by nation states before it actually got here. The Dan Kaminsky exploit is one that once we started researching it, there was a couple of DOD entities that were actually getting hit by that well before it was actually released publicly. When Alex, and I think his name was Dimitri, released the uh, BGB prefix attack in 2008, there was a number of people that were like, well, now that explains some shenanigans where all the traffic was routed through China for a while. So you're absolutely going to see that. And I expect to see that kicked out by the end of this week as people go through and they start doing a backlog analysis of their previous logging data to see if they were hit before. But that's going to come from very, very, very advanced organizations. You're going to look at it in fintech, financial districts. Uh, they're the ones that are going to be doing that. And also DOD. I think everybody else is pretty well hosed. I don't expect hospitals to do that because they can barely keep up with what they have right now. I was going to say, don't we do the news every Monday? And shouldn't people smash that subscribe button? <laughs> is that the way we're supposed to do it? <laughs> Yeah, if yeah. you guys could subscribe, yeah. if you look at this and you're like, I got to have this in my life, then yeah, hit the subscribe button button down below. If you want to hear us talk about every time this exploit gets used. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. We're seeing a lot of people talk about a Black Hat presentation in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen that rumor pop up. I have not seen that presentation yet. If anyone has a link, if they could actually share that out, we'd appreciate it. But as of right now, it wouldn't surprise me. Once again, I keep beating a dead horse. That's a bad turn of phrase, but Dan Kaminsky's exploit was actually discovered about five years before he released it in the Sands Reading Room white paper. So, yes, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this is something we were all warned about and everyone kind of politely ignored it. There was a couple of questions or comments in the uh, chat about Cobalt Strike being involved in this in terms of weaponization, and, and that's kind of my read on it. So just to respond to that, you, you know, if you get a remote code execution, it really doesn't matter. You can you can run any code you want after you actually exploit that. So if you have a shell or command channel installed on that server uh, and you want to deploy a Cobalt Strike beacon, then just go ahead and do so, right? It, it's absolutely doable and it will, will, will in mm -hmm. fact uh, get you that extra C2 channel, command and control channel capability. So, And the other thing I wanted to add was a shameless plug. Uh, tomorrow is the regular expressions class uh, starting at 9 a.m. Eastern. I think everybody could use a little dose of regular expressions oh, yeah. right now. They oh, dude. You updated it yeah, to include the JD and, or JNDI stuff, right, Chuck? I'm going to do that tonight. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Let me, let me get this straight. Like regular expressions, you could totally regular expressions for looking through logs is like simple, right? Or yeah, something exactly. Like, totally not going to be hard. It, it won't be obfuscated at all. At all. What could go wrong? No, no, no. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, isn't it a no. pay what you want class? Pay what you can class? That is a pay what you can class. It Absolutely. is a pay what you can, yeah. 
Yeah. I think okay. another thing that we're going to see out of this mm -hmm. that I saw a lot with Magento compromises is that um, we're going to see cohabitation of threat actors on um, systems and a fight for control of those systems. So I think that'll be interesting if you're doing forensics and defer threat hunting. Uh, you're going to see cool. some of that, uh, like I've seen with Magento, as far as fighting for the same space, either for crypto mining or for initial access, oh. and then yeah. that gets sold off. Um, so it's going to be a, a regular battlefield out there. Yeah, it's usually when you know years ago, back when when I was doing offensive operations, it, if we found someone else was on the box, which was probably fifty to sixty percent of the time, we were just like, let them be, and we would also try to dump on top of their access. But mm -hmm. when you talk about crypto mining, I could definitely see how if you're on a box as a nation state attacker, somebody throws a noisy tool on that's going to get that box looked at by forensicators. Yeah, you're probably going to see some people fighting each other back and forth on systems. But most of the organizations that hit like that, they won't even know it because they probably don't have proper logging in the first place. Yeah, what about the uh, either the attackers that are patching behind them or the the rogue uh white hats out there that are patching things for people yeah we saw that pop up where somebody said couldn't a white hat just simply create something that goes through and patches systems for people this was actually a huge conversation that we had back in like 2000 right and i don't think we've ever got resolution to it so what i'm going to say is if that's something you're thinking of doing just don't it's something that's possible it may happen but I do know that a lot of government entities, they won't look at you as a savior in this type of situation. They're still going to throw a whole bunch of laws at you and kick your door down. Be careful. Just be careful. Sometimes people trying to do the... Nachi and Welchia is a good example. Michael brought up that one. Nachi was released and Welchia was one. We also saw forums that were trying to patch systems. Just be careful. Just, just don't do that. I feel like if there's a battleground, it's going to be clients. It's going to be like endpoints, like that kid's mining or uh, Minecraft computer, right? That's a hot, juicy target for uh, someone with a crypto miner. You know, that's, that's where the battleground's going to play out is on systems where no one will see it because there's no logging. There's no, you know. Would this be the best time to start my own email server? <laughs> right now at this point, yes. You, you should start writing it from scratch in Java. All right, cool. <laughs> The Java makes the dependencies really easy, actually. You just type log4j and it picks the right version for you. Actually, I think, I think he should write it uh, in, in Java, and I think he should have a PHP front end. It would be fantastic. <laughs> By the way, don't take anything they're telling you seriously. No, you please don't. Absolutely don't. Don't like ever, ever. Yeah, this is, yeah, there's people here that are writing this crap down, and they're like, well, I did what BHI, I did what Job told me to do. Just don't. He's not no, your don't. friend. PHP no. <laughs> is arguably one of the worst languages ever for input sanitization. Just saying. <laughs> All right, folks. So let's wrap it up. I want to say thank you to everybody that attended. This is a bit new. We didn't use GoToWebinar. One of the reasons is I'm pretty sure that GoToWebinar uses Java. And I didn't <laughs> want to bring 3,000 hackers to that platform because mm -hmm. that could end poorly. So... So we went to YouTube in, hoping, in hopes that YouTube had this stuff actually locked down. But I want to say thanks to the cast that showed up today. We greatly appreciate it. And folks, just be careful out there. And like I said, embrace the suck because it's going to be a funny story that we will tell each other over beer at conferences in five years. Thank you so much.
you hear me? Why can't I hear Corey? I, why can't I hear myself? Can anyone hear John? Why? Can you guys hear my fan in the background? Or Is that like a person that just comes over and tells you you're doing good? 